Welcome to the Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. Leap Health empowers individuals and organizations to improve both their physical and mental health. In this podcast, we explore innovative, bespoke, proven health solutions that will improve your personal and professional productivity and happiness. I'm Anna Rede. Let's get ready to make small steps to Leap Health. So hello and welcome to episode three of Leap Health in the Workplace. So today we're going to be discussing fuel to manage brain strain. And I imagine everybody right now is experiencing brain strain at some point. So I just want you to have a think about whenever we think about our diet or how we're going to fuel, what actually comes to mind? And I guess for most people, when you talk about improving your diet, you think about you know, a rich six-pack, big muscles, looking good, losing a bit of weight, getting that little black dress. Um, but is it really all about body image? And today I want you to have a think about it in another way. Because let's just stop and have a think. Without protecting your most valuable asset, which is the brain, how will you ever feel happy about your body shape? So unless you're in a good place mentally, you're never, ever going to be satisfied with the way you look. So I think we really, really need to rethink this and put the brain at the heart of what we're doing when we're thinking about fueling. So in this short episode today, we're going to explore some of the key considerations and practical steps that you can do to reduce the strain on your brain. So Alzheimer's Research UK states that over half the UK population knows someone right now with dementia. So this might be you right now that knows someone with with dementia. It might be you that's actually seeing the initial signs in yourself. Um, Or it might be you that it could be in the future. And maybe you've got a history of it in your family. So you might be thinking right now, well, it's inevitable that I'm going to suffer with dementia because, you know, my grandma had it, my uncle had it, it's in my family. But just because you have a family history and it's inherited in your genes does not not mean that you cannot make simple lifestyle interventions which will impact on the outcome of that. It's not just a given that you're going to suffer with a particular disease because you're genetically disposed to it. Lifestyle invention, interventions are powerful and you can make them yourself. And as these are made over time, this changes the gene expression um, in future generations as well. So you're not only just you know, benefiting yourself, you're benefiting future generations as well. So, you know, for years and years, it was thought that you couldn't actually change your cognitive function. But, you know, if, if you're born with them genes, you had it. However, um, a cognitive scientist called Michael Ramskar um, carried out some research in 2014 called The Myth of Cognitive Decline. And he actually goes as far to say now that the notion of senior decline is a myth. So I truly believe that, yeah, if it's in your genes, you're predisposed to it. But I do think it's a myth that inevitably you're going to come you're going to suffer from that disease because I think there's lots of things you can do in your lifestyle uh, that can prevent negative outcomes with that so the next area we're going to explore is neuroplasticity and what is neuroplasticity well this is the ability of the brain to harness neural connections create new brain cells and positively adapt its function in response to stimuli from the environment so basically it means that your brain cells are not just going to waste away over time if you actually use them and make positive 
things in your environment to stimulate them. So there is things you can do to stop them wasting away. And for years and years, it was thought that after childhood, that was it. So if you hadn't developed them well in childhood, then gosh, there was no hope for you. Um, but actually, more and more studies coming, to, coming out to show that that is not true. And a well-known study, you might have heard this, this was all about British taxi drivers, found that memorising the streets led to changes in the memory centre, which is the hippocampus, and those who were driven for longer and experienced more uh, difficult, different streets and different journeys had greater expansion in the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is the key driver for things like memory and cognitive function as well. And there's correlations between the size of the hippocampus and your memory and cognitive function. So we've given the example of you know keeping your mind busy. So that, that was in terms of taxi drivers learning new things. So that might be things like you doing things like Sudoku or learning a new skill or something like that. But in terms of your diet and the implications with your diet, um, there's also studies which show the impact a Western diet has on your hippocampus. And in one study, it actually showed that it had a negative impact and showed a small hippocampus, as opposed to a Mediterranean-based diet, which is centered around nutrient-dense foods, such as fruits, vegetables, whole grains, healthy fats, um, which actually had a positive effect and increased the size of the hippocampus. So that really shows you know, the impact of both keeping your mind busy um, and also fueling it correctly. So the next part we're going to think about is inflammation. And inflammation is quite trendy and you will see it plastered everywhere. You'll see it on food, you'll see it on people that are talking about the effects of everything, which is quite, has an inf inflammatory impact um, people have gone a bit crazy crazy about information but I am not convinced that people actually understand what it is and the impact that it has so let's talk about it in simple terms um, to see what it's really all about so inflammation can just be an acute response so for example you know I might go out for a run I might fall over I might twist my ankle and during that acute period my ankle becomes inflamed and swollen but there's a reason for this because then this stimulates your immune system and your immune system kicks in to fight off any infection and it starts the healing process. So that is actually a positive, um, positive process because without that inflammation, the immune, immune system wouldn't have kicked in and the healing process wouldn't have started. Another example is maybe if you lift a lot of weights, um, whilst you're lifting weights, you're actually breaking down those muscle fibres and training them. Um, and then as you recover, your body's immune system kicks in because of that inflammation that you've created and starts repairing your muscles and they grow. So some people, when they're training, they might think, so for example, they might think, oh, you know what, I've got sore arm today. I might take um, an anti-inflammatory. I might take some ibuprofen or something like that so that I can still train, um, but I won't feel the pain in my arm. However, they're not going to get the results you want. Because you've taken an anti-inflammatory, that's going to stop the inflammation process, which then stops the immunity process, which stops those muscles from being rebuilt, uh, sorry, repaired and growing. So maybe if you have got an injury, it's not always the best thing to be taking anti-inflammatory and not the best thing to be training through it because you're probably going to make that injury even worse. You're probably best resting. 
So those are just a couple of examples where that would be an acute information um, situation. So they'd probably, you know, that, that acute information situation will probably last for a few hours, days, or at the most weeks. However, now we're going to come on to chronic information, and this is where it can really have a detrimental effect on our health. Um, and in a modern society, we've got lots and lots of little stresses that are causing little amounts of information, but are lasting for a long time, a long time. And this is causing chronic long-term inflammation. And this really is where the problems arise. So for instance, our Western diets, you know, there's a lot less fruit and vegetables. Everything's a lot processed and causes a greater oxidative risk and oxidative stress, which causes inflammation and puts us at many risks, such as heart disease and stroke. And both these have an impact on our neurological disorders. So everything is interlinked. And you'll probably think, you know, when you go to the doctor, you go for one problem and you might talk about things in isolation. So you might think, well, you know, you know I'm at risk of heart disease. Or you might think I'm at risk of dementia. I'm at risk of, you know, all different things. I'm at risk of arthritis. But actually, if you look at things in detail, you realise that everything is interlinked and should be looked at in a holistic way um, and you can treat many things with small lifestyle interventions. So we said that the, the Mediterranean diet has a real positive impact on inflammation and that's because it's full of antioxidant-rich foods such as, like I said, your fresh fruit, your vegetables, your whole grains and your healthy fats, which time and time again keep showing up in various studies to reduce the inflammation and have benefit effects on different medical conditions. So these are all brilliant lifestyle interventions you can put in place before you have to go down the medication route. And often when you go to the doctor, you go there thinking, right, I'm going to get a pill and this is going to sort it out. However, if I'd really, really, in addition to getting medical advice, I would really explore that first stage, which is all about interventions you can put into place. Another trial, which I'd recommend you to have a quick look at if um, you're interested in this, is called the SMILES trial. And in this trial, they put people who are clinically depressed into two subgroups. So this was either social interventions, so this was things like counselling, um, talking to people, or going on the Mediterranean diet. And in fact, the most powerful one was the Mediterranean diet. And significantly, more people in the Mediterranean diet arm at the end of the study, we're no longer clinically depressed. So just have a think about the power that what you eat could have on your well on your and how you feel. And maybe you could even reduce medication on advice of a medical professional if you've seen the benefits with your diet. The next one we're going to have a think about is the different types of food. So we, we've briefly touched on you know, the Mediterranean diet, but now we're going to have a specific think about the types of food that you could take on board that will have a big impact for you. So the first one of these is whole grains. And whole grains include things such as oats, uh, um, barley, corn, um, anything whole grain really, lentils, chickpeas, um, all whole grains, pulses and lentils. And these are really, really good sources of antioxidants, fibres and B vitamins. 
And it's advised that we get 30 grams of fibre a day. Um, currently in the UK, though, we're only getting about 20 grams. So we are well under there with our fibre daily recommendation. And fibre has a huge impact on many things, including just things such as creating a good sense of satiety so that we feel full, so that we don't get that hungry feeling in our brain that we can't concentrate. Um, but it really has a positive effect on our gut health. And 10% of our brain signals go to our gut. So that just demonstrates that it does play a crucial role in brain strain. And if you're not getting enough fibre, that could be causing a strain on your brain. Um, we have two different types of fiber, the soluble and insoluble fiber. So with soluble fiber, try and think of it as a sponge, something that soaks things up and takes away. So that's things like oats. If you think about your insoluble fiber, think of things that are a bit harder, like a brush that would sweep things away out of your gut. So think of things like your root vegetables, like parsnips, carrots, things like that. Um, but yeah, just try and make sure you get enough of that fiber in your diet um, for amongst many things for your brain health the next one is b vitamins i think b vitamins are always associated with you know mental well-being and people are quite familiar with that but if you're looking at specifically it's probably going to be your b6 and b12 that have been shown in studies to have a positive effect on depression and these are often found in your whole grains they're also involved with the regulation of the blood brain barrier and the blood brain barrier like the bouncers like the soldiers that protect your brain what goes in and what goes out so it's important that we look after that blood brain barrier so that it can really do the job that it's meant to do um, and it can support um, the, the, the oxidative stress so we've alluded to earlier that antioxidants are great for fighting um, anti um, oxidative stress and whole grains are full of antioxidants in terms of our brain's fuel and what's a primary source of fuel our brain's primary source of fuel is carbohydrates so plastered all over the place it's always to avoid carbs and sugars are bad well they're not actually bad. It's just a case of getting the right ones. As we say, there's good and bad in everything. Right, so really go for those whole grains as a good source of whole carbohydrates. We're looking ones that have the ones that have a low glycemic index. And this means that they will provide you with sustainable energy over a long period of time. So things when they're eaten in the whole form will just drip feed your brain and the rest of your body with a you know a little bit of fuel over a long period of time so think of it as a line that's going across your line is likely to be straight it's likely to be steady and consistent when you get those processed carbohydrates those that are really high in white sugar and things like that that are high gi you're going to get a sudden surge of sugar that goes in that might make you feel like you're bouncing off the roof for a minute or two but not long after that, you will get a real dip in your energy. And that's where you get that peaks and troughs. If you're thinking again of that line, you get the peaks and troughs. And this is where it can really have a negative impact on our insulin levels and on the way we feel mentally as well. So we just want to try and keep that line nice and straight by eating whole food. Things that have got the fibre attached to them because that fibre means that the release of energy is slow in the body because it takes longer to break down in the body. So the next group of foods we want to think about is healthy fats. And for years and years, and I think still today, stuff's plastered all over with low fat and people think that low fat is the way to go. And it was promoted for years and years. Yes, avoid fat at all costs. Um, personally, I've experienced this, you know, 
over the years um, and, and thought that this was the way to go. And I've personally really experienced the benefits of taking a lot more healthy fats in terms of hormonal and brain health as well. So I really, really can't sell healthy fats to you enough. Um, and we really, really need to change that marketing message that all fats are not bad. We need to get those healthy fats. Um, so we often think about our heart health when we think about healthy fats. And, and you know, years ago, if you'd gone to the doctors and said, and you'd got heart disease, they'd say, like, they'd say to avoid fats. And with cholesterol as well, it was always reduce all your fats, reduce your cholesterol. However, things have been revised now. And if you're looking at your cholesterol, you'd look at the ratio between HDL and LDL. So HDL being the good cholesterol and LDL being the not so good cholesterol. And it's looked more at ratios. And this is how we need to look at our fats. So yeah, we do need to avoid things like saturated fats, such as butter, cream, you know, things that are, are really high in those saturated fats um, but we do need to increase the unsaturated fats and in particular we need to look at omega-3s because omega-3s have actually been shown to be to promote the growth of your brain cells now historically the ratio between omega-3s and omega-6s would have been equal in our ancestors years and years ago however over time as things have got more processed there's been a greater influx of omega-6s in all different foods. I think to preserve them and because they're relatively cheap. So that ratio is a bit out of balance now. So what you really, really need to focus on is your omega-3s. And these are found in things such as oil fish, nuts and seeds. It must be noted, though, that in your um, vegan sources, such as your nuts and seeds, it's a little bit harder for the body to convert it into a usable form. Um, but yeah, on a whole, I would really focus on increasing omega-3s so that you can get that correct ratio between your omega-3 and omega-6. So we're not saying cut out your omega-6, I'm saying get that ratio um, correct. And again, the Mediterranean diet promotes this kind of a diet, you know, with lots of olives and oily fish as well which is high in your omega-3s so if you're really going to you know, think about how you're going to address your fats try and avoid those processed fats things like cakes pastries you know fatty meat and go for things such as oily fish nuts seeds olives olive oil the next food group and consideration we're going to come on to is fruit and veg i don't really need to say a lot about fruit and veg more and more so people are going vegan it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be healthier uh, by default generally people will eat more plant-based because they are vegan however not in all cases and um, this is the case you can still have lots and lots of unhealthy options being vegan you could live off sweet and still be a vegan, but not very healthy. Um, but fruit and veg, as we've said so many times, are full of antioxidants, which reduce inflammation. So the more plants, the better. Um, and then water. We've kind of skipped over this big point, but water is crucial for our brain health um, and plays a massive, massive function in terms of transferring nutrients across to the brain cells. So often we can miss our... Um, hunger and thirst cues so it's key to make sure that we are hydrating have at least two liters of water a day be mindful when it's hotter be mindful when you've exercised that you need added amounts of, of water and hydration on board and um, this is again another podcast in itself so we will address hydration another time but just remember that it is key for our cognitive function 
Um, a few other thoughts, again, which these could all be podcasts in themselves. The first is sleep, and this is certainly an area that can be addressed all in itself. And this, I would argue, is the most important thing that you could do in any of your lifestyle interventions. Um, and notably, it's free. So why wouldn't you get your sleep hygiene in, in order? I know it, is be- it can be very difficult for some people who've got certain conditions, and, and it can be difficult, but there are some small steps that you can make which are dead easy to implement um, and will be in the right direction to a good night's sleep. So just for instance, turning your devices off at least an hour before bed, making sure your room is super dark, making sure you've got a comfy mattress, making sure you're maybe not eating too late at night so that your body has that rest time so that it's not digesting food. Think about your positive and negative noise. If you're watching the news really late at night and it's something that's going to bother you and keep you awake, switch it off. Just know what are your triggers. And maybe think about listening to things such as like relaxing meditation for five minutes before you go to sleep. And But all these little steps will improve your sleep, which improves the way you feel because we all know that if you don't have a good night's sleep, you don't think properly. And that sleep time is a key time for your brain's lymphatic system to operate. And the lymphatic plastic system takes away all the waste and resets your brain at night. So you do need that peaceful time, that peaceful time to rest and let your brain reset. The next one is exercise. Again, this is a total um, different section to itself and this deserves a podcast on its own and there is workshops that I do around exercise in particular exercise smacking this will be new for 2022 and but when we exercise this induces a production of neurotrophic factors which promote cell regeneration and prevent against cell cell age deterioration so exercise does really have a benefit on our brain and it's not just about doing an hour and a half, an hour slogging it out in the gym and not really enjoying it. There is loads and loads of ways to enjoy exercise. And that is what we explore around exercise snacking. I'm also passionate about getting a balance because it's not always the more, more the better. It's about getting that correct balance with exercise so that you get the benefits and not detrimental effects of over-exercising. The next one, we touched on this as well when we mentioned the taxi drivers is mental stimulation. So keep your mind active. Um, you know, the phrase is use it or lose it. And you will all see with older people as the age, those that keep busy generally have better mental function and cognitive function as well. So keep learning new things and keep your brain active. And then importantly, relax. So for years and years in the workplace, it's all about being and doing more hours and more you put into everything but I think we miss that point but you have to relax your brain needs to re to rest and reset as well so take time out to relax and it will make you more productive ultimately because you've had that time to reset so I think about activities such as mindfulness yoga and deep breathing and other things Maybe just read it, picking up a book and reading a book, listening to a good podcast um, might just make you feel a little bit more relaxed um, and reset your brain. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of information there about how you can reduce brain strain. We've explored in particular nutrition, but then identified a few other areas as well. So we've looked at the stats and the facts about you know 
what what's happening in the world right now with our brain health we've looked at neuroplasticity we've looked at inflammation and we've had a little look at the foods that you could think about um, and then a few other small lifestyle interventions so i hope that's been useful if you've enjoyed it please like this podcast please share it with someone else please make health contagious and share it with somebody else who you think could actually benefit from this. And if you want to find out more information about workplace health workshops, get in touch with me. It's Anna at leaphealth.co.uk or check out the website, which is www.leaphealth.co.uk. And there is loads of information on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. Okay, have a great day. Make small steps leap health and make health contagious. Thank you.